Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 61. And I am so excited to have one of my friends on here. Um, I was thinking, and she was actually one of the people that I was thinking about when I started to think about this new kind of direction in which we're going right now with the podcast. So the next 10 episodes are going to be part of the first ever Survivor Series arc. And I thought about Anna because... She's just amazing. She has a really powerful story. We have yet to meet. Um, we have several things in common, though. We like, <laughs> this is funny. The first thing I thought about, girl, was big, burly guys. Um, <laughs> funny, right? So true. Um, we also like yoga. We share a similar faith perspective in the divine um, Jesus. And we love people. Um, and so, and, and she's an amazing, amazing woman, um, has this quiet strength about her. And that's one of the reasons I was like, we were texting, um, as we often do. And I was like, Oh, this is it. <laughs> this is what, this is what's going to fit, you know? And I asked her if she would be willing to be a part of this survivor series. And she said, yes. So you all are in for a treat. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. I'm humbled and um, just, I, I don't even know what to do here. I'm so excited and, and nervous and just ready to share whatever I can and hope somebody can glean something from it. Oh, yeah. No, they, they absolutely will. So tell us who you are in your own words. Well, that's a loaded question all in of itself. Um, I am Anna Fagans. I uh, am, I don't like to identify myself as a, as a cancer patient. I, mm -hmm. um, I am a recovering addict as well. So in 2008, I um, decided to get clean. I'd hit rock bottom. And so that's part of my survival as well. So that kind of begins the whole story. Um, and then fast forward to 2013, I was um, diagnosed with a grade three brain tumor on my right frontal lobe and was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so from then I am a brain cancer survivor. So I like to laugh and I love being with people. I am, I describe myself as an introvert with extrovert tendencies. Um, so I recharge by being alone, but I love being around other people in small settings. Um, again, laughter is everything to me. If you can make me laugh, then you're in. And um, I love yoga and I do love Jesus and I love you. Oh, that's so sweet. I love you too. I, I can relate to the introverted kind of pretending to be an extrovert or having those extrovert tendencies. I think the yoga kind of draws that out of us as, you know, especially if you teach larger classes, but even if you teach smaller classes, it takes a number, I mean, a level of energy to share and uh, to create yes. um, and to be in community with other people during that um, like sacred space of teaching a class or 
even taking a class, I would say. So, so can you kind of walk us through, um, I'll get to the recovery piece in a minute because you know me as a recovery advocate um, as well, but what was it like hearing the diagnosis? Um, <laughs> well, let's, I was really, they had given me, um, Dilaudid when they told me what okay. had happened. So I went into the ER with headaches and my head, my sight was going out, my hearing was going out. So I knew, I mean, I was smart enough to know these are not common side effects to headaches. So I went to the ER and told the nurses what I was experiencing and then I went back and they shot me full of Dilaudid because I was in so much pain at the time. So um, at the time I was asking for a house pony. I mean, that's how messed, I mean, that's how high I was on the painkillers that they had given me. I had no scope of time or space. So it's kind of, it's, it's humorous throughout the story. I mean, it's a very serious story, but there's so much humor that's in it because that's kind of who I am. I, I just sure. with humor. Um, so I went in and I, they gave me a CT after the Dilaudid shot and came back to my room and my boyfriend was with me at the time and the ER doctor came in and he didn't really have the best bedside manner and that was okay. But he came in and he said, your blood work is great, but we found a mass on your right frontal lobe. And I looked at him and I said, you found a what on my what? And I had no idea what, I didn't even have a grid for that. And then he said, well, your neurosurgeon's on the phone right now, so I'm going to go. And I said, my what is on the phone? And it was just all of these words and these phrases that I had no grid for, understood what even meant. And I just remember looking, and that was probably one of the only times that I cried throughout the whole process because I just didn't know what was happening. I didn't understand what it meant. Um, and I just kept saying, I don't have a grid for this. I don't have a grid for this. I don't understand what this means. What does this mean? What does this look like? And nobody really had answers at that point because I had just been admitted to the hospital. And so at that point, I looked at my boyfriend and I said, well, I guess you should probably call my family now because I just thought it was a sinus infection. So I didn't want to worry my family and have them all come to me. And then when you, know, when you hear brain tumor, it's time to call the family in. So sure. I think it was shock, but also because of the pain meds running through my body, I couldn't fully process what was happening in me. Sure. So when your family arrived, what was that like? And how have people had an impact on, you know, the treatment and, you know, coming out on the other side? Well, I come from a large family. I'm one of five siblings, and we're all dominant personalities. So that's, that's usually a fun time, all in a small room. Um, but I was acutely aware of the fact that none of them had a grid for this either. And none of them knew what to do in this situation either. And so my role in my family has always been the peacekeeper and the peacemaker. And so mm -hmm. I keep everything together. I'm the glue. I keep everybody, you know, I, I'm the mediator and just this peacekeeper. And so that's, I just went right into that role. I just stepped right into it and just told everybody, I'm going to be fine. 
everything's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. And I just kept saying that to everybody and everyone that came in and came out. I just, I felt like it was my job to reassure everyone that I was going to be okay, even though I wasn't really sure that I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so you've come out on the other side and so you are okay. What does it look like? Because one of the things that you've inspired me with is, and I don't know if it's a full acceptance, um, and that's just my humanity showing, um, but it appears that you have accepted that things are, you have a new normal, and you describe things as a new normal. And so when did you kind of come out on the other side knowing that you would be okay? When was that actually proven or showed to you? And what does that actually mean to you? I think for me, and I was just talking to somebody about this today because I just had my last round of scans last week. Yep. So um, I, it was the night before my craniotomy. It was the night before my surgery. The evening before, I had a stack of papers in front of me that I basically signed my life away. I mean, this wasn't getting a bone set. This was brain surgery. This was serious. I had to get my will in order. I had to, I mean, there were things that had to be, I mean, this is a serious situation. And at that point, I just felt the peace of God come over me that evening and was, I mean, I can't explain it. There's no, there aren't words for that peace that came over me that I thought if I go, then I go, it's my time and I'm okay with that. But if I don't, then I'm here and I'm here for a reason and I'm going to keep going into that. So I just, at that moment, I, I just didn't worry about it. It wasn't a concern for me and I can't explain that. I don't think in human terms because it didn't feel like a human peace. It felt eternal. It felt divine. And so it's just kind of crossed over into the last four years that people ask me, are you scared? Are you afraid when you go in for scans? And I'm not. And that's just the honest truth about it. I, I wish I could say that I was, and that might make me sound a little more normal, but I'm just not. I mean, there are triggers when I walk into a hospital. There are triggers when they, you know, place my face down and put me in a cage for an MRI, there's triggers that happen, but that make me nervous and cause anxiety, but I'm not afraid of the outcome. If it comes back, which it can, it comes back and we'll just deal with it from there. Sure. And what does the new normal look like to you? What are some things that you noticed are different from then like before the diagnosis and to now? Uh, well, I process things a lot slower. Um, your right frontal lobe is your decision-making. It's your judgment area of the brain. So um, I have noticed since the surgery itself that I take a really long time to make just the smallest decisions. Like what toothpaste am I going to buy? And it's a serious debate in my mind. Am I making the right decision? And so I have to just, you know, and I have to give myself grace. That's the biggest thing that I've struggled with so long. Like the physical scars of cancer are there and you notice them, but it's the emotional scars that linger that you don't know are even hiding underneath the surface. That there were days that I would just wake up and start crying and had no idea 
why. And if I just made my bed in a day, then I did something. So I still make my bed every day in case the day comes where someone says, what did you do today? And I can say, well, I made my bed. Um, so there's the decision making that makes things a little bit harder. Um, a lot of the things that I tell people, they already say, well, I do that already in my regular life. So I have to make notes for everything. I have to make lists about everything. I have to put reminders. Um, for the first year or two after the surgery, after the diagnosis, I had to put post-it notes everywhere to just remind myself of things. And then most of it was just the physical, the physical tax um, of chemo, of radiation, of steroids, of anti-seizure medications uh, that just ravished my body and having to, um, losing your hair, gaining 80 pounds, things like this. It was just, I felt like I had lost my femininity at one point from losing all of my hair, and that was one of the hardest points. But it's just, the new normal is just taking each day as it comes, breath by breath. And that's why I think yoga is so important to me. It's all about the breath for me. Breath by breath, each moment as it comes. And not beating myself up about it or um, you know, judging myself or comparing myself to other people because it's just not who I am. My, my level is just different. And some days it's better and some days it's worse. And you just take each day as it comes to you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, um, it's true. And it's, it's not always, um, I, I mean, I especially loved what you said that you felt like it was divine and it wasn't normal that you didn't have the fear that many might think are accompanied with a diagnosis of this magnitude, you know, um, a procedure of this, of this depth, um, of this weight. Right. And so it's really important for us as humans to recognize that, um, you know, things come as they come and I can make things really difficult for myself by not accepting and fighting something. Um, and that's not to speak of like activism. We're not, I'm not really talking in that realm right now. Um, because I can still accept something and it be un unacceptable to me. Right. Um, right. but in terms of, you know, health and the day to day of life, um, just, you know, really connecting with a power that's beyond ourselves, if that's something that you choose to do, right. to find that peace and to uh, have that awareness of what's really happening here and what's the reality and, you know, how do I move forward? So what are some things that you really appreciate um, or things that you've learned beyond acceptance and um that you know your memory was not the same as it was prior to the surgery and prior to um being diagnosed with brain cancer what are maybe three things that you've learned throughout the process from being in the er to now that you're actually grateful that you've gone through this process if in fact you are grateful that you've gone through this process I, I am emphatically grateful for the process. I wouldn't take any of it away, but I always say that about my life. Anything that's happened to me, I wouldn't take 
I wouldn't take a moment of it away of anything that's that I've gone through or I've struggled through or the trials. I wouldn't take any of it away because I believe that's how we grow. That's how I move forward. That's how I press on into the woman that I'm still becoming. I don't think I've ever fully arrived. I'm still becoming. And that's a beautiful process. And I think that's one of the things is that I've been able to realize that process. Instead of tear myself down like so many women do, I've decided that it's not worth the time or the effort or or the strain or the anxiety or the stress to beat myself up. I can accept where I am and just keep going. And so um, that's been one thing. The other is material things. I had three jobs. I was doing really well for myself before the diagnosis. I just moved into a new house by myself and then I lost everything in a week. I mean, I lost all of my jobs. I lost every bit of financial security that I had. I had to go on food stamps. I had to go on Medicaid because I didn't have health insurance. So, and I remember my first week back in my home and looking around at my things and thinking, none of this means anything. None of it really means anything. I don't need any of these things to live and to be happy. And what have I been striving so hard for? for these things that sit around in this room and they mean nothing to me. Um, and so that's when I became a yoga instructor because you don't make money being a yoga instructor, but it's what I love. It's what brings me to life. It, what, it's what brought me back to life physically and emotionally and spiritually. And I want to just share that with other people. I don't want to give that to other people, especially people who are TBI, like traumatic brain injury patients. I want to share this, that it's for everybody and that you can do what you love and be happy and still be poor and it's okay. Mm -hmm. So that would be two. And third is that I just think I like appreciate people more. I think I, I, there's been a newfound compassion where I was compassionate before, but I think it's just at a different level because you don't know that you're always going to be there and you don't know that they're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. And you get to realize through so many things that were said that shouldn't have been said to me and then just realizing they don't know. People don't know what they don't know and that's okay. And just having grace for that as much for other people as I do for myself. And just opening those doors up that there's, that there's just a space for everybody and everybody deserves compassion and everybody deserves kindness. Yeah, it's so true. I, I remember reading something and I don't want to do too many details because this, I want this person to know that, um, I, I don't disclose stuff, but, um, similar diagnosis, I'll put it that way. And I remember reading, that they were sharing about this diagnosis, a previous diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the same as yours. And I just broke down in tears because they were kind of making sure that it was okay that they took care of themselves in a specific setting. And it made me sad thinking about it um, because I was like, it sounds like this person may not have been offered grace in the past. Like people probably expected, okay, you're back. Now let's get back to what you were doing before you left type of thing. Right. And it just hurt my heart to think. And I said, are you serious? Like I said, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Secondly, 
you're amazing, <laughs> you know? Um, and yes, take whatever breaks, whatever breaks you need. Um, I, you and I have talked about this before because I was diagnosed with lupus, which is not the same thing. And yet some people, um, my case is very mild compared to others. Um, some people are in and out of the hospital and I'm grateful that that is not, that's not been my experience. Um, and so having to shift or being able to shift myself, um, because there are some things, there are clear demarcations in certain things. Um, what you were saying about memory, that is something that, um, has been my story as well. Um, and so I've had an opportunity to get really creative about how I remember things. Um, and it doesn't, it hasn't always made me feel great about myself, but I'm like, this is what it is. <laughs> you know, like I can weep and be upset about it or I can just move forward and do well, what I Well, if you would like do. me to remember something, this is the way that I have to do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, um, and it's totally all good because most of the time people are less concerned with what I'm doing and what I need to do to be okay, <laughs> you know, right. than I think. So right. oftentimes... I think part of humanity is we are oftentimes very selfish. And so we are concerned with what's happening in our world and not so much about what's happening around us. And that doesn't mean that we don't, we're not connected. I just think that in the minutia, like we're really in tune with self and, right. and not, you know, so it's like, if I think I'm someone's pain, they're not, right. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's all good. Um, so I wanted to kind of go back. You said 2008 was when you decided to get clean and sober. Mm -hmm. So what was happening then that kind of made you think now is the time? Um, well, you know, people talk about rock bottom. I had gone below rock bottom. I had hit, um, everybody had pretty much given up. I'd have every conversation with every friend, close friend of mine. My family basically knew what was going on with me and um, all the help just kind of stopped. The people that I would reach out when I needed a little extra cash to get my next fix, to do whatever I needed to do next, it just all kind of ended. And then it just, it was really, it was, it was again, the divine comes and meets with me in really extreme situations a lot and it was just a night of extreme divination where I came face to face with my end and I could choose to go one way or I could choose to go another and it was put right before me and I chose to live I wanted that instead of to end everything because I mm -hmm. knew that's where this was I could clearly see um, that that's where it was going mm-hmm and so that's, and I know it doesn't happen for everybody like that. Mm -hmm. I know that it's not, but it was really once and done. I was, it was overnight and I just quit and it was over. I didn't, I didn't have to go into a treatment program. I did move in with my sister who lived um, an hour and a half away from me. So I left my job. I left my apartment. I left my friends. I just packed a bag and left. Um, because I, I knew that if I stayed where I was, then I was going to end up dead. 
And I just showed up at my sister's doorstep and she had three small children. And I always say that, um, at the time that God took me out of the, um, worst and darkest place and put me in like the safest space because I had to share bunk beds with my nieces. And I was literally in a princess room and it was just, I mean, there were just princesses all over the place. And, um, I mean, my nieces were five and three and just precious. And he just, I felt like that God had just placed me in the safest and brightest place to recover. And my sister is who took me through my recovery. She would feed me. She would bathe me. Um, she, you know, they let me get on back on my feet with them. And I'm forever grateful for that opportunity to have that sort of support and also know that not everybody has that. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is just my story of my recovery and know that it doesn't work like that when I interact with other people who are struggling through it, who are walking through the fire even now. So, but I'm very thankful and feel very blessed for my recovery. Well, and it's been, a, what is that, 11 years now? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's really powerful, you know, the impact that people have on us, the negative and the positive, right? Yeah. Um, and it sounds that like you had a soft landing place to, to get to. So one of the things Anna and I were talking about during the pre-call, I said that while I admit that I might not be in her, that I'm not in her inner circle or even, well, her inner inner circle or even her inner circle, I've never once said, heard her say, um, you know, like cut something off because, and dot, 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 because I had brain cancer. Um, and I just think that's a, that's a powerful testimonial or a powerful um, story as it relates to who you are and who people see you as. Um, because some people, so we were, we were trying to, attempting to coordinate um, even us interview, you know, this interview. And she was telling me I'm getting my scans done. And I was like, okay, you know, so focus on that. Let me know how that goes. And we can reconvene this conversation next week if that works better for you so that we can actually schedule. And she kept responding with, you know, her availability. And I was like, this is just my friend. This is who she is. She doesn't end being a part of life. Like she loves being a part of life. And I think that speaks to the gratitude that you actually feel for being alive because not everyone feels that you've been saved multiple times. Um, you have done hard work though. Um, you're pretty badass in that respect, like recovery for some time and, and then surviving this. Um, I mean, cancer is a mother, you know what, or, you know, it's not great at all. And, Many of us have seen, I don't think anyone that walks the, the earth hasn't been touched by cancer, um, by someone that they know, you know. And so to be so in tune with the divine and so in tune with self and just the joy of life is a really powerful thing. 
it's very contagious. Um, other people feel it. Other people notice it. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just one of the reasons why I was like, oh, she has to be on this. She has to be a part of this series because, I mean, so many people would not have gone down the path that you did. Um, they may have given up. You know, they may have um, been less positive. And, and I say that um, only as an accolade to you and not as any type, sort of judgment or indictment on anyone who's going through this, has been through this, is going to be going through this because I have no opinions on that whatsoever. I have never been through um, that. And so I don't even, I can't even speak to how one should behave. Right. All I can do is speak to how I've seen you behave and what I've, or I've seen how you live, not even behave, how you live um, yeah. post um, diagnosis and even, you know, through the treatment process, because we've been friends for at least a year, if not, it might've been two years. It might be two years at this point, yeah. but I see how you live, you know, and it's, um, it's so awesome. And it, I just want to encourage and also acknowledge you um, because you inspire me and you inspire so many people. And I want you to hear that, know that my dad always says, eulogize me while I'm alive. So yeah. that's what I'm doing because no one really needs flowers after they've passed on, <laughs> to be honest, or to hear these great words. And it's like, why didn't you tell me when I was around? You know? Well, Just thank saying. you. It means so much. And it's humbling to me to even like hear those words. But, and, and when you say, you know, it's not my place to say that anybody else should feel this way either. You know, this is, me. This is Anna. This is how I've gotten through it. This is how I've walked the path and everybody's path is different. And it's not to say that your path is wrong or that you're doing it wrong. This is just mine and I'm going to keep walking it. And I, I've never wanted to be identified as the cancer girl. I just never wanted it. Now, is it a part of who I am? Yes, it is. Does it affect the way my life works? Yes, it does. But it does not define me. And I don't want it to define me. So I want when people look at me, when they meet me, to not know what I've been through, to not know the work that I've had to put into it because I've had to put a lot of hard work in it. And I don't even normally share that. And now I'm sharing it with a lot of people, I'm just realizing. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I met with my oncologist last week and He's so encouraging. He's the best doctor ever. And he's like, I've just watched you from 2013 to now just grow. And you've completely reinvented yourself through this illness. You've just made it work. And he's like, I just have to sit back and listen to you because he doesn't get to have this conversation with most of his patients, with almost all of his patients. It's, it's a bleak diagnosis people die from this. I understand. And it breaks my heart. But this is just, you know, this is just my process. This is my journey. And um, the people who know me the best know that when I do come home from scans, I'll spend the evening by myself. And it's not that I say that I need that and I would welcome them in if they came, but the people who know me best know that it's okay to give me 24 hours or so 
to just be alone and to process everything that's happened and work through it. And then I'm ready to go again. But every time I meet with my doctor, so I have scans now every six months and that'll be for some time until maybe they move to every year. But I, I told him, you know, when he, he told me this week, you can take this compliment however you want, but you are my most advanced patient that I have. And you, it is, it's an honor to be your doctor. I am proud to be your doctor. Uh, and of course I started crying. And then I told him, these appointments with you propel me through the next six months. So I can get through the next six months knowing that I'm doing a good job, that I'm doing the work and that, and that it's okay. Even if I have a bad day, even if some days that I'm just exhausted and I can't do the work and I, and sometimes the fog is in my brain and I just can't, and that's okay. And I'm learning just now, four years out, that it's okay to rest, that there's something sacred in the rest, in the stillness, just as much as there is in the pushing and the fighting and the striving and the pressing, which is all good as well. So meeting with him propels me through the next six months because I only have really healthy people to compare myself against. I really only have this group of people that come in and see me and they have no idea what it's taken to get to this point. And um, I feel even, um, I don't, it feels weird to even say that for me. Like it, it, it feels like I don't want to sound egotistical or full of myself saying how hard I've had to work to get here, but I've had to work freaking hard to get here. And, um, and it's, it's just, I'm just honored when people see that because I don't always see it. Sure. Yeah, no, I, it doesn't come across as egotistical. It's just you sharing your story, you know, because it, I mean, I don't see anyone that has anything worth having that hasn't worked hard. Right. You know, um, I mean, some days may be easier than others, but it, it takes effort, you know, it, right. it, it takes effort. So, um, I had a question for you. And now it's, oh, yes. Are there any organizations that you, um, nonprofit organizations that benefit survivors or people who are going through um, brain cancer treatment that you would feel comfortable um, endorsing so that if anyone is listening to this and they feel compelled to um, make a financial donation, they are, feel in good conscience that they can go make a donation to a place that you would endorse? There, there are a couple. Uh, nationally, it's a National Brain Tumor Society. Okay. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just pressing into to new technology, to new ways, to new uh, methods of fighting, um, curing, um, awareness even of, of brain tumors because there's so many. I mean, if you just think about the brain in and of itself – how intricate it is, how each part plays different roles. Um, and many people have tumors in places that can't be operated on because of where they are, or they lose speech, or they lose movement. I mean, I always, I always said I had a best-case scenario in a worst-case situation because it was my right frontal lobe. I didn't lose my speech. I didn't lose cognitive thought. I, I just 
lost some decision-making abilities, you know? Um, so they, I, I follow them. I, I always am just enthralled with the work that they're doing. And then locally there is, so I'm in Springfield, Missouri. Um, there is a group called Gray Matters of Southwest Missouri. And what, I mean, I've done a few fundraisers like yoga fundraisers for them and, um, all the money that they raise just goes to supporting people going through it there who are in the battle who are in the trenches right now with diagnoses like this with brain tumors with and really any any tbi so aneurysms or accidents so the money that goes to that that you donate to them goes to helping them to feeding them paying their bills, helping them live their day-to-days, because that was the hardest part for me after diagnosis was, how am I going to pay for all of these regular things? People ask you what you can do for them. Go clean their bathroom for them. You know what I mean? Don't send them, I didn't need flowers. I needed someone to come and clean my house for me. You know, I needed, I, I needed tactical things like that. And again, that's just me. So um, those are two. I can't really think of, of any anyone else right now. No, so. that's awesome. So I will include that, friends, in the show notes with a link to donate um, so that it can be made really easy for you um, because, yes, uh, emotional support is important and financial support is also important because treatment costs money, um, and research costs money as well. And so, and support does too, especially if uh, a nonprofit is running a group or, you know, support groups or counseling or therapy, things of that nature, it all costs money. So it's important to support financially people that are doing it. So I will make a donation to one of those two organizations or two smaller ones to each of those organizations because it's really important that we not only say, I'm really sorry to hear this, how can I help, but actually do something tangible to help um, because that is how I really can show that I care about Anna is by actually doing something. Um, It's like there's a friend from Vegas that would always say, do something, you know, and, and and I... it would always make us laugh, but it's so true. It's like, do something, you know, and that something can look different in every single situation, but, you know, not sitting back. I can't say I care about you and I'm not concerned with the things that concern you. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So before we close, my pleasure, is there anything that we have missed? Um, I think we touched on my typical self-care question when you talked about yoga and the breath and why you love it. Anything that you would like to share that you have not yet shared? No, just be kind to one another. I love that. That is And breathe. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. That's all. The first four months of my yoga practice were breath work alone in my bed because I was too sick to do anything else, so. Just breathe. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on. 
Thank you. I love you. And I love you. <laughs> I learned more by talking to you in this setting. So thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable and transparent about your road. And um, we'll have to check in with you to see how things are going on another episode. Thank you for having me. And just so everybody knows, everything's clear. The scans were clear. I'm doing great. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for that update. So I've got a couple of stories and then we'll end in the usual manner. Um, an older woman with two dogs walking down the street in New York. They were filming that show Gossip Girl across from my apartment. I marched right up to the crew and said, do you have any idea? what you're doing to the youth of America. I've actually never seen this show, but gossip is horrible. It ruins lives. True story. And then another older woman sitting on a park bench and it says, don't tell me what to do and I won't tell you what to do. That's my motto. I have a lot of feelings about the decisions of my family members, but I don't ever offer my opinion unless I'm asked. And that's why I'm still invited to parties. Good, good advice. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. And I won't tell you what to do either. <laughs> so let's see. Um, thank you all for your support and your insight. Um, I love hearing what you think about this podcast. So rate, review, share, and subscribe. If you want to hear from anyone in particular, let me know. I will do my best. I'm pretty good at hounding people. And usually they say yes, not always. I'm still working on a few for y'all. So there's that. And I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there's only one of us. So thank you all so much for being here. I hope you have a gratitude-filled day. My name is Chidema, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, GCast Episode 61. Until next time, namaste.